Now, more tips with your host, Rebecca Rogers. Remember that in our program, we present our opinion and the opinion of our guest, and is not to be interpreted as medical advice. Thank you so much for joining us today here on Lifestyle Improvement for part two of our interview with Susan Roberts. Ms. Roberts studied occupational therapy at Boston University, theology at Harvard University, and nutrition at the Institute of Integrative Nutrition. She studied five element theory of traditional Chinese medicine at the Tao of Healing Center in New York City. Ms. Roberts has been an instructor of occupational therapy and practice at Eastern Kentucky University and New York Institute of Technology. She is also the author of the books, Biomechanics, Problem Solving for Occupational Therapy, Kinesiology, Movement in the Context of Activity, My Kid Eats Everything, A Journey from Picky to Adventurous Eating, and The Food Explorer's Passport. She is currently working under contract with Norton Publishing to write Sustainable Health, a book about how we can develop five habits of eating, playing, sleeping, working, and loving to radically transform health. And now, here is our guest, Susan Roberts, and our host, Rebecca Rogers. Why do you think that kids, um, or even adults, and now we're moving to one of your other books, because you have so many books. <laughs> we have to kind of touch upon each one of them. Now we're moving to your, to your other book, which has to do with eating. Why do you think that kids, or even some adults, are picky eaters. And I've had, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this over the years that I've been doing this. And, and I think that one of the big things that gets in the way of our picky eating, well, there's a number of things. And what I want, want to say is that most of us have an addiction to sugar and flour, particularly the sugar. The flour has some issues, but the, the real big, the real big one is, is, is the sugar. And then that, that has been a real, you know, I finally came, realized that unless I deal with the addiction, I cannot move any other, nothing else is going to move. So somewhere I have to, at some point we have to, that's where we have to address. The other piece of this, of course, is like a thousand years ago, Nobody worried about what to eat. You ate what you could get and it changed all year long. You know, you you could only get eggs for a certain part of the year. You could only get dairy for a certain part of the year. You could only get vegetables fresh for a certain part of the year. And so then people learned how to ferment them. And, and so in the winter, you would eat uh, herbs and spices and uh, and preserved uh, fruits and vegetables, because that was that would be the only way you would get those micronutrients would be in those forms, and and you know that game was available at certain times, and nuts were available at certain times, and you ate see even if you live in a place where the seasons don't seem to be as dramatic as they are in the t north you know, temperate zone here. Um, but I lived in Tucson, Arizona, you know, I mean, we had seasons and we had foods that were available by the season. And if you live in the tropics, it's the same thing. There are foods that are available seasonally. And so everybody had a huge varied diet. If I decide that I'm going to eat nothing but mangoes and I live in Alaska, I can live that way. I'm going to get sick. I mean, no question about it. 
that, you know, if you eat one food, first of all, you're more likely to get allergic to that food if you eat a single food. And which is one of the things that we see happen with a lot of our kids, I think, uh, who are on the spectrum who will, you know, they'll eat one food and then they stop eating it. It probably, I'm guessing, because they probably had a, a, some kind of an allergic or a sensitive food sensitivity reaction to it, and it no longer, they can no longer eat it, and then they never eat it again, but they haven't built in any new foods. So they whittle their choices down till they're eating, you know, three, two, three. I mean, I've run into kids that are only eating, you know, one food, and you know when they stop eating that, then there is nothing else. And these are kids who are really looking death in the face and, um, and parents are, you know, at their wits end, of course. I mean, you know, I think it's, it's really a scary thing, but partly it's because, um, we have a lot of processed food, almost all of it has sugar in it. Um, and, um, we've been scared by, you know, people get scared by hearing, oh, you know, the spinach is, you know, got, this in it, or I, you know, I don't want to eat red meat or, you know, there's all kinds of food scares. And what that does is it drives people to the processed foods because they seem safe. They're in these nice, pristine little packages, but the nutrient quality is never good. And they made them from the same stuff we were scared about in the first place. We've lost our way with food. We've just lost our way. That's really powerful coming from a nutritionist to say that statement because there's so much to that, that that we can unpack that for days um, in all the areas that that entails, not only what we are using to keep our foods uh, from getting insects to what we add to them afterwards so that they can be preserved. And the list goes on and on of how much we've changed it, the how much we have changed the the foods that we're eating, from GMO to um, just organic versus non-organic. There just is so much. So with all that in mind, we don't realize, I think, in my opinion, how much food affects our health and how much food, I mean, we know we have to eat it and we know if we don't eat it, we're, gonna, we're going to be hungry and most likely we could die of starvation. And we know we need vitamins and minerals, but I don't think we pay enough attention to the details. In your book, My Kids Eat Everything, you talk about a set of rules under the title of Playing by the rules. What are those rules? Why are they helpful in helping sustain healthy eating habits? Okay, and I think that 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 is the rules that I got from Ellen Satter and her work. And she's a registered dietitian and also a psychotherapist. And she's wonderful. I've been this pleasure at the pleasure of having dinner with her uh, one night when I was in Madison. Uh, and she's wonderful. And she's done a tremendous amount of work. And um, uh, many other people have followed her work. Uh, Marsha Dunkline and Suzanne Evans-Morris, who wrote a book in the 80s called Pre-Feeding Skills, which I still consider the feeding Bible uh, in terms of what the, the knowledge that they pass on in that. Um, 
but they uh, worked with Ellen Satter and her rules. And it's basically, and this is the key to unlocking um, picky eating and unlocking food refusals. And, uh, but it's very difficult to actually, you know, I mean, parents need somebody to hold their hand through the white knuckle period. And, and Ellen Satter even refers to it as the white knuckle period, because we keep saying, you know, eat this, eat that. And we've, we've really been, we've been taught to eat things that don't taste good to us. And our, our sense of smell and our sense of taste is actually our chemical analysis, you know, what's going to be good for our body. If we listen to our smell or we paid attention to smell and taste, we would be much better uh, off than we are. Um, And then you do have to deal with that sugar addiction piece. But she says that the, there's a division of responsibility in feeding. And it is our job as adults to decide what foods we will present and cook and buy. We, you know, we know what the budget is. We know basic nutrition um, and when we're going to serve the meals and they need to be on a schedule if you really want to have um if you, you know, if you really want to get over picky eating, we need to be atten- pay attention to where we eat, which is always at the table or in some special, you know, designated, you know, like a picnic or something like that. But we eat together and we eat at the table and we and how we eat. And that's manners. And I always say that there are only two possible responses to when somebody offers you food, whether you're a child or an adult, you really, there are only two real responses. That's either yes, please, or no, thank you. No one wants to hear about your dietary, you know, restrictions, your medical issues, or your philosophical beliefs. It's yes, please, no, thank you, done. Um, And teaching children those kinds of manners and rules. This is, that's what's our job. But it's their body. They get to decide if they're going to eat and how much. This is your host, Rebecca. And now we will take a short break and we will be right back with more ideas on lifestyle improvement. As a caregiver, you spend your days caring for the needs of someone else. But what are you doing to help yourself? In our Caregiver Survival 101 workshop, we teach you the self-help skills that will empower you to be healthier and more productive. Do you feel tired, overwhelmed, have difficulty sleeping? Do you feel isolated? All this could be signs of caregiver stress. Chronic stress can impact your health adversely and ultimately cause irreversible and unwanted physical problems. Take a step towards your own personal care. A healthy caregiver is a better caregiver. You owe it to yourself and your loved ones to do what is needed to stay healthy today. Go to www.caregiversurvival101.com. That again is www.caregiversurvival101.com. And discover how we can help you help yourself. Or call 877-957-7387, extension 101. That again is 877-957-7387, extension 101. Caregiver Survival 101. Because care starts with you. And so what parents have to do um, is to let go of trying to get them to eat. And that's the white knuckle minute. That's the moment is the white knuckle is that you have to say, this is what's for dinner. 
eat what you want, leave the rest. I don't care. I would say, so you need to tell them mommy's too tired to care anymore. You know, <laughs> but you're white knuckled, you know, under the table while you're, you know, going through this. And, and I, the other thing I say is the real white knuckle moment. You think it's the white knuckle moment when you're, you know, and you're definitely white knuckled as they refuse food after food after food. But the real white knuckle moment comes the day they pick something up when they think you're not looking and eat it. That's the real white knuckle moment because you cannot say anything then either. No positive, no negative. It has to be self-regulated. And I always tell them you can email me or text me any hour of the day or night. You can email all your living relatives and you can put champagne on ice in your bedroom. But do not say or look or do you have to have that poker face at the table. And that's the real white knuckle moment because that's when you finally made the breakthrough. And now they're eating for themselves and not for the dinner and a show, the drama of what they can get you to do because they're refusing food. And I always say, you have to remember it's a dinner and a show, take the show out. And then it's just about the dinner. It's so true because food can become such a control piece for some kids Oh, yeah. It's so charged because we had food and love are like this and we we can't you can't unpack that. I mean, I you know, you can teach this all day long and come home and, you know, I don't want to eat this. It's 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 a blow right to the heart. It's it's like the, we so hard to unpack it. So you really, really it is white knuckle. And and uh, but, the you know, that this is what's we're, this is what, you know, here it is eat it, don't eat it, not my problem. You know, as long as there's always something that somebody can eat and there's enough of it and there's enough of it. And that's also a bit of a dance. You know, I've had parents say, you know, if I put the whole loaf of challah bread on the table, they eat the whole loaf. I said, don't put the whole loaf on, put half the loaf on, save half of it for French, French toast in the morning. You know, and you say, here, this is it. When we run out of this, I save some for tomorrow for French toast. It's like, oh, okay. You know, who doesn't want that? Such a such an interesting subject, because when you're thinking about not just kids that have endured trauma in which they've lost a lot of control. And when you're thinking about kids that have different nervous systems and that interpret sensory information differently, we may not be able to understand what it feels like to them when they put that piece of food in their mouth. Then you're just talking about a completely different world because neurotypical is a definition, correct? It is. And we, we see, I mean, one of the reasons why I really recommend following the division of responsibility is because you don't know if they're having a food allergy or or food sensitivity, especially the kids that are nonverbal and little babies. It's like if they don't break out in blotchy hives and stop breathing, you may not even know they've had a reaction. And yet that kind, if you've ever put something in your mouth that made it itch and swell up, you know that it's not, it's a very upsetting feeling and you don't know what's going on inside their body. So you have to trust that they do. You have to trust their body. And there is, um, for some kids, it can take months before they finally are realize that that they do have the control that 
that they, you know, before they find that comfort zone and are willing to begin exploring food. I really love this conversation, Susan, because again, I just think that sometimes we see picky eating as a nuisance, something that gets in the way. It's a big nuisance. But it's sensory language. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's critical. Critical. Absolutely. They're saying something very important. This is what I, I have some control over this. And this is what I don't like and I don't want and or. The other piece of that is something that you talk about in your book and in your practice. You, you mentioned some of that as well in the, a few minutes ago. Is the enjoyment piece. Yes, you have to enjoy food. It's got to be pleasurable. It is pleasurable. If you've ever been hungry, you know, and gotten food, oh my gosh, it's such a pleasure. You know, oftentimes people experience it when they're out camping or something like, oh, the food tastes so good. You know, it's burned on one side, but it tastes good because you're hungry. What is something that parents can do on a daily basis as they deal with their own schedules and routines to make sure that they honor and respect that child, their eating habits, so they can still keep that enjoyment piece connected to the food and so that it's still something that is positive for the child's life and not just something that has to get done in a hurry because we have to go and move on to the next day. This is your host, Rebecca, and now we will take a short break and we will be right back with more ideas on lifestyle improvement. What if there was a way to help your struggling child perform better academically? Would you pick up the phone and call? Lifestyle Improvement Occupational Therapy Services in Puyallup, Washington, supports wellness and optimal educational performance. Instead of just reteaching information, we endeavor to identify the possible root causes for your child's learning difficulties. We offer targeted testing to assist in the creation of an individualized plan and provide you with the brain training tools that can help improve academic performance. Visit our website at www.lifestyleimprovement.com or give us a call today at 877-957-7387, extension 101. That again is 877-957-7387, extension 101, for an initial free phone consultation. Lifestyle Improvement Occupational Therapy. We're ready to partner with parents and to help your child succeed. What is something that parents can do on a daily basis as they deal with their own schedules and routines to make sure that they honor and respect that child, their eating habits, so they can still keep that enjoyment piece connected to the food and so that it's still something that is positive for the child's life and not just something that has to get done in a hurry because we have to go and move on to the next thing. It needs to not be done in a hurry. That's really the the big, that's the big takeaway. And, and there've been so many studies done that show that families that eat together, the grades go up and this is across all socioeconomic groups. The grades go up, teen pregnancy goes down, and teen drug use goes down. So really, if you're taking them to the soccer game and this and that because you want them to have a wholesome, healthy life, spend that time eating together. Um, I think a half hour is plenty of time. You know, you're in charge as the adult of what, when, which is how much time you're going to spend, where, and and what kind of man. So I think it's... um, 
like giving yourself enough time. And when I work with a family, I often, you know, like in the morning, sometimes, you know, are you, you know, what, how much time do you really have to prepare and eat a meal? And, you know, can you, and oftentimes people are already getting up so early. Um, and then, you know, you, the sleep starts to suffer. So, you know, you're impinging on that and that's also important. So how much time have you got? If you've only got 15 minutes, then, then, then let's find a dry cereal we can live with. Or, you know, we're not, let's not sweat, you know, sweat, you know, you're not, not going to make eggs and you're not going to make pancakes. You're not going to make any of those things. You're, you're going to, you know, like dry cereal milk, you know, what, and, and the milk is the real key there. The dry cereal is a, a wash nutritionally, uh, no matter what dry cereal it is, it's a wash. Um, but, um, but the, um, uh, but at least one meal a day, um, needs to be spent together, sharing, sharing food, eating the same food. The child may refuse some of it. That's fine. But the other thing is, you know, we only have a half hour. I'm sorry you didn't eat your sandwich. You know, when you get home, we'll have a snack. So you just basically find uh, options to respect the time that they need. Take, yeah, give them the time and then respect your time also. And, um, and you know what, you know what they like. You don't have to ask. Don't ever, you know, that's not their job to make menu planning. You know, there's lots of wonderful websites that can help you with menu planning, but your child cannot. You need to make the menu plan. You know what the, you know what the budget can handle. And I also, the other thing is the sharing of food is so important that I tell people when you go into a restaurant, you don't, you know, you can take entertain uh, suggestions from the children. But when the person comes to order, the parent orders one main dish because any restaurant you go to, unless you're going to spend a hundred dollars a person in a, in a restaurant, which you shouldn't be bringing your kids to those restaurants anyway. But if you're that, they're the only ones that are going to give you a, a single portion. Everybody else is going to give two, three, four, you know, a lot of places you can feed a family of four on one entree. And you order a couple of sides and, you know, and you pay the extra $1 a plate if that's what they're charging because they often do. So what? You pay that. It's cheaper than the hard bed pass is going to be. So, um, you know, so you're still better off and you've spent less money. And um, and even you can go into fast food places like McDonald's. And I don't recommend this, but but I will tell you, you go to the counter and you say, I want I want, you don't order happy meals. Don't do that. That's a, that, that's a sucker. You're a sucker. If you order happy meals, you're just making money for the company. You go in and you order two orders of chicken nuggets, a large order of fries and an extra big drink. I don't recommend the extra big drink. The rest of it, I'm not so upset about, but that extra big drink, I would really rather you didn't do that. But if that's what you're drinking and it's, a, you know, and if you're doing it once in a while, it's not a problem. But if you're doing it every day, but that you take that extra big drink, you go over to the little table and you take out everybody's little sippy cup and you pour it out. And then it's real clear. We're sharing a meal together. And that's the key. That sharing of food. That is how we got where we are is by sharing food around a campfire. Beautiful, beautiful. I love the sharing piece. It's, I, I just hope that we continue to 
foster that and to take the time to do that as we can. We're so always important. busy and absolutely. And the payoff is huge because the grades go up and the other issues go down. Right, right. And of course, we're not dealing with specifics about, of course, some kids, a lot of our kids on the spectrum, um, they have difficulties with milk and some of them, uh, they have also difficulties with gluten. And I've even right. read some some studies that say that like you were mentioning, if a child that is in the spectrum eats fast food more than once a week, there are also some issues from there. So there's a lot of things to pay attention to. But I think right. that the heart of it here is whatever you decide to give your child, and hopefully it will be a healthy choice, take the time to spend time to eat it and make it a moment of special bonding because it is an important time that you can use to build the relationship, so not just with the food, but with you, right? <laughs> right, it is. I mean, there's really, um, there's nothing that can match that. Can match that. Absolutely. Remember that in our program, we present our opinion and the opinion of our guest and is not to be interpreted as medical advice. Thank you so much for joining us today here on Lifestyle Improvement for part two of our interview with Susan Roberts. Miss Roberts studied occupational therapy at Boston University, theology at Harvard University, and nutrition at the Institute of Integrative Nutrition. She studied five element theory of traditional Chinese medicine at the Tao of Healing Center in New York City. Miss Roberts has been an instructor of occupational therapy and practice at Eastern Kentucky University and New York Institute of Technology. She is also the author of the books, Biomechanics, Problem Solving for Occupational Therapy, Kinesiology, Movement in the Context of Activity, My Kid Eats Everything, A Journey from Picky to Adventurous Eating, and The Food Explorer's Passport. She is currently working under contract with Norton Publishing to write Sustainable Health, a book about how we can develop five habits of eating, playing, sleeping, working, and loving to radically transform health. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Lifestyle Improvement. And don't forget to join your host, Rebecca Rogers, again for part three of her interview with Susan Roberts.